1: Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, The Battle of Fornava, Part 3 of 5. On the 1st of August, 1464, the most powerful citizen of the Italian city of Florence, Cosimo de' Medici, passed away. In a long and illustrious career, Cosimo had become the first of the Medici dynasty to become the de facto ruler of Florence. His power was never absolute. He held no official title and he was always careful to show great modesty. But behind the scenes, thanks to the wealth accrued in the Medici Bank and his great diplomatic skills, by the end of his life, Cosimo would almost always get his own way. When he died, his position was taken by a son named Piero. Because of his ill health, Piero the Gauti, as he is known to history, was unable to take as much of an active a role in public life as his father had done. His five-year reign had no major events except for a brief and successful war against the Republic of Venice, when, at the Battle of Molinella, Venice was defeated by an alliance of Florence, Naples, the Papal States and Milan. When Piero passed away in December 1469, a delegation of leading citizens made their way to the Medici family home, the Palazzo Medici, to offer their condolences to his eldest son, Lorenzo. Lorenzo later wrote of the event quote, although I was very young, being just twenty years of age, they encouraged me to take upon myself the care of the city and state, as my father and grandfather had done. This proposal was naturally against my youthful instincts. Feeling that the burden and danger might be too much for me, I consented to it unwillingly. End quote. Such a show of modesty was typical of the Medici, who kept the pretense of being ordinary citizens of Florence, disavowing lofty titles or signs of ostentation. With good reason, the Florentines were intensely proud of their republican traditions, which distinguished them in their eyes from the other states in Italy. In reality, de facto leadership of the city passed on to the young Lorenzo, who was already well-prepared. From the age of fifteen, Lorenzo was being sent on diplomatic missions to Naples, Milan, Venice and elsewhere, in the place of his incapacitated father. In his youth he had received the finest humanist education available, and for leisure he especially enjoyed hunting on horseback and with falcons. He was, by all accounts, charismatic and good-natured, often singing and telling jokes with his friends. By the age of twenty, Lorenzo was strong, intelligent, an energetic and natural leader. Lorenzo needed all his charisma and diplomatic skills to face the many challenges during his reign. Two years after his father's death in 1471, Pope Paul II died and was succeeded by Francesco della Rivera, who became Pope Sixtus IV. Born on the Ligurian coastline near Genoa, north of Tuscany, Sixtus was an intelligent, energetic and ambitious man. When ascending to the papal throne at the age of 57, he was determined to regain control of the central Italian papal states, many of which were now independent in all but name, and to establish his family as one of the ruling dynasties of Italy. To achieve this, Sixtus had no scruples about indulging in blatant nepotism, using the papal resources to benefit his extended family. At first, Lorenzo and Pope Sixtus were allies, Lorenzo led a diplomatic mission to Rome, where he congratulated the new Pope on his succession, and persuaded him to keep the papal account with the Medici Bank. The Pope's ambitions soon, however, made Lorenzo uneasy, and led eventually to the most famous single event of Renaissance Medici, the so-called Pazzi Conspiracy, an attempted murder of Lorenzo and his brother Giuliano in the Cathedral of Florence. Trouble started in 1473 when Pope Sixtus appointed one of his nephews, Piero Riario, to be Archbishop of Florence against the wishes of Lorenzo and the Florentines. The decadent Piero died three years later, but more serious were the efforts of the Pope to install another nephew into power in the city-state of Imola. To achieve this, Sixtus required a huge sum of money to acquire rights to the city, and so asked for a loan from the Medici bank. Lorenzo was hesitant, since not only did Sixtus already owe the Medici a substantial amount, but Imola was strategically important to Florence, situated just over the border on an important trade route over the mountains to the Adriatic. Not wishing to offend the Pope, Lorenzo tried to play for time, but the Pope was enraged and withdrew the papal accounts from the Medici bank and turned instead to the Medici's main rivals, the Pazzi family, and their bank. The Pazzi had been one of Florence's leading families for many centuries. Formerly of aristocratic rank, they had set this aside to enter the Bankers Guild in the 14th century. They were envious of the wealth and power of the Medici, who they regarded as upstarts, and began to work with the support and blessing of Pope Sixtus to throw them out of power and take control of Florence themselves. A plan quickly evolved where Lorenzo and his brother would be assassinated. And a condottiere, that is, a leader of a mercenary army, was hired to assemble an army at Imola, and descend upon Florence as soon as the conspirators struck. The Pazzi believed that the Florentines would be glad to be rid of military tyranny, and rose up in their support. The assassination attempt took place on Sunday, the twenty sixth of April, 1478, at High Mass inside Florence Cathedral, known in Italian as Cattedrale di Santa Maria del Fiore or the Cathedral of St Mary of the Flower. At first the patsy tried to hire a professional assassin, but once the details of the plan were made clear to him, he refused. Even a professional murderer was horrified that not only was the murder to take place in a church at High Mass, but the signal for the blow to fall was to be the ringing of the bell of the Elevation of the Host, indicating the presence of Christ. Hence priests, more maniable but less skilled with the dagger, had to be brought in to attempt the killing. And so, on the fateful day, at the sound of the sacristy bell, the priests simultaneously snatched their daggers from their robes and lunged at the Medici brothers. Giuliano was instantly killed, but Lorenzo was just in time able to leap away, tearing off his cloak as he did so, and using his arm as a shield. Bleeding profusely from a wound in his neck, With the help of his entourage, Lorenzo was able to survive. When the Florentines realised what had happened, they quickly turned against the conspirators. Groups ran through the streets seeking out members of the Pazzi family and their supporters. Despite the pleas of Lorenzo for order to be maintained, the angry mob lynched the leaders of the conspiracy, including the two priests who had attempted the murder of Lorenzo, the head of the Pazzi family and also the Archbishop of Pisa, who had been deeply involved in the plot from the beginning. News of the failed Pazzi conspiracy quickly spread to Rome, where Pope Sixtus IV was apoplectic with rage, especially when he learned that one of his archbishops had been publicly hanged, and to make matters even worse when still clad in his ecclesiastical robes. Sixtus excommunicated Lorenzo, and put an interdict on the celebration of Mass in any church in the Florentine Republic. Next, he persuaded King Ferdinand I of Naples, also known as Fuente, to join in a declaration of war against the Medici. As technically a papal vassal, whose position was weakened by being an illegitimate son of the preceding King of Naples, Fuente felt he had no choice but to play the Pope's game, to be able to stay on his throne, even though he had no personal disagreement with Lorenzo the IV also hired the services of one of the most feared condottieri of Italy, named Federico de Montefeltro. Federico was the Duke of Urbino, a small sovereign state in north-central Italy. The Florentines were unprepared for war. They hastily put together an army, but were unable to gain much support from their Milanese or Venetian allies. They hired another condottiere, the Duke of Ferrara, but the combined forces did not match that of the enemy. In 1479 the combined papal Neapolitan army marched into Florentine lands and made rapid gains. At the town of Colle, 30 miles south of Florence, they met unexpected resistance and so were delayed by two months. By the time the town was taken it was November, and so the invading army retired for the winter in Siena. By the end of 1479 things were looking desperate for the Florentines, and the Medici in particular. Civil order was breaking out all over Tuscany, as armed brigands took advantage of the situation to terrorise the countryside. It was at this moment of terrible danger that Lorenzo decided to take a desperate gamble and to embark on one of the most remarkable and courageous acts of diplomacy on record. He slipped out of the city and headed to Naples, the capital of the same kingdom that was ravaging his territory. Forente was notoriously unpredictable in temperament, so Lorenzo risked assassination or imprisonment in the dungeons of Naples. Instead, Florente welcomed Lorenzo to his capital, but made no immediate decision. He prevaricated over the winter of fourteen seventy nine to eighty, until the next year when events changed once more the political situation of Italy. On the 28th of June, 1480, a large Ottoman fleet arrived near the Neapolitan port of Otranto, on the heel of Italy. After a 15-day siege, the walls were breached and the Turkish army was let loose on the city, which was brutally sacked and set on fire. A total of 12,000 Christians were killed and 5,000 enslaved, horrifying the whole of Christendom, whose leaders now feared where the Turks would attack next. Pope Sixtus IV, under these changed circumstances, decided he was willing to forget his differences with Lorenzo, so that the Italian powers could get together against their common Muslim foe. As it happened, the Ottoman sultan, Mehmet II, the same who had conquered Constantinople, died shortly after at the age of 49, and the immediate threat suddenly subsided. Remarkably, peace between the major Italian powers held more or less for the next decade, with Lorenzo playing an important diplomatic role in maintaining cordial relations between Italy's rulers. As a result of his key role in diplomacy, he became known as the needle of the Italian compass. As part of his reconciliation with the Pope, Lorenzo allowed one of the greatest of Florentine painters, Sandro Botticelli, to work in Rome. There, Botticelli painted frescoes in the newly built Sistine Chapel, originally named the Sixteen Chapel, for it was named after Pope Sixtus IV. who also painted a number of famous biblical scenes for the Pope. Two years later, Botticelli returned to Florence, where he continued creating masterpieces, perhaps most famously, The Birth of Venus. Today, displayed at the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, this painting has remained a symbol of female beauty. It depicts the goddess Venus having emerged from the sea as an adult woman, arriving at the shore on a scallop shell. Scholars have proposed many interpretations through the years with a consensus that embodies Platonic philosophy which was popular among the Florentine humanists of the time. The birth of Venus followed the artistic trends of the time, depicting not only religious figures but also pagan gods. Writes George Holmes in the Oxford Illustrated History of Italy, The sinuous and exaggerated beauty which Botticelli characteristically developed in his paintings was also associated with an elevation, for the first time, of classical stories to the very highest level of art, where they were to remain in the works of 16th century painters and after. Art was now extending itself beyond the traditional confines of the Church. It was to become secular, influenced by a renewed interest in ancient texts and by new scientific discoveries. Lorenzo de Medici was also credited with discovering the artist who perhaps embodies the Italian Renaissance more than any other, Leonardo da Vinci. As a young man, da Vinci learnt his trade with the personal encouragement of Lorenzo, and went on to create many masterpieces, including the paintings Mona Lisa and The Last Supper. He became expert in a remarkably wide range of subjects, including sculpture, architecture, science, mathematics and astronomy. Still in his mid-twenties, the time of the Pazzi Conspiracy, he later moved on to work for various patrons in the courts of Milan, Rome, Bologna and Venice. In spite of the flourishing of great art around them, the Pazzi Conspiracy had in many ways darkened the mood of the Florentines. Lorenzo became melancholy at the murder of his brother and frightened of further attacks, in order to maintain Medici control of Florence, he felt compelled to put in place a set of constitutional reforms, creating the so-called Council of Seventy, a new governing body for the city that was dominated by Medici supporters. To make matters worse, at this time, the cloth trade of Florence, so vital to the city's economy, was starting to suffer. England and the Low Countries began manufacturing their own cloth, and so as a result, exported less wool to Florence. As more and more workers were laid off, and as alternatives were being eroded, the Florentines grew increasingly resentful. One man appeared to offer certainty, and the people started to flock to him. His name was Girolamo Savonarola. Born in Ferrara in 1452, Savonarola grew up as an introspective boy, pale and withdrawn, given to composing melancholy verses. Who is educated by and worked for his grandfather, who, writes Christopher Hibbert in his book The Rise and Fall of the House of Medici, was a physician from Padua, an acknowledged authority on the curative properties of spa waters, an exponent of the beneficial effects of alcohol. But Savonarola was not interested in following in his grandfather's footsteps. One day in 1475, he slipped away from home to join a Dominican monastery in Bologna. After seven years, he was sent out to preach elsewhere, arriving in Florence, in 1482, where he was posted to San Marco, a monastery built at huge cost by Cosimo de' Medici. He quickly developed a reputation amongst the monks for his austerity. As well as a boring alcohol and personal contact with women, he wore old and patched-up clothes, and slept on a straw mattress on a wooden board. He was shy with an awkward manner, but beneath his heavy, black eyebrows his eyes shone bright with intensity. At first his sermons were ineffectual, but in 1485 Savonarola claimed to have experienced a revelation that inspired him to reveal the word of God, to warn him of the world of horrors that lay in store for the wicked. He began delivering his sermons with the passionate eloquence of a man who had at last discovered his mission in life, castigating his congregation, warning them of the catastrophes that God was about to release on the world. He claimed to have become gifted with foreknowledge of the future, that his words were divinely inspired, and to deny their truth was to deny the wisdom of God. Savonarola so called to his congregation, Quote, Repent, O Florence, while there is still time. Clothe thyself in white garments of purification. Wait no longer, for there may be no further time for repentance." Even the official church, he declared, had fallen into the ways of wickedness all the way up to the papacy. His sermons began to take on an increasing political tone as he preached against the abuse of authority by political leaders. Lorenzo's name was not mentioned directly, but it was clear he was the so-called tyrant against whom Savonarola passionately rallied. At first Lorenzo tried reconciliation, but this had no effect, and in 1491 the ruler of Florence started to become ill and incapacitated. News now reached him that Savonarola was prophesying the death of the tyrant, i.e. Lorenzo, and also of the Pope, on April 1492, Lorenzo the Magnificent died of illness. When this news arrived in Rome, the ailing Pope Innocent VIII is said to have exclaimed that peace in Italy would no longer survive now that the needle of the Italian compass was gone. Three months later, Pope Innocent also died, succeeded by the notorious Borgia Pope Alexander VI. The Florentines began to seriously believe that Savonarola was able to prophesy the future. As the sermons of Savonarola gripped the Florentines, leadership of the city passed on to the son of Lorenzo, a 21-year-old Piero, who unfortunately lacked his father's charisma and good judgment. It was unfortunate that at this moment in time, Florence lacked strong leadership, because events elsewhere were about to bring about the greatest challenge the city had ever faced in Renaissance times, the invasion of Italy by King Charles VIII of France. The subject of the next episode. My name is Karl Reilert, and you've been listening to A History of Europe, Gay Battles. I hope you can join me again next week to hear about the invasion of Italy by the French king, Charles VIII, in 1494. Until then, have a good week, and goodbye.